everybody, and welcome to the first ever live stream of Cash's Corner with Jan and I. And we figured what better way to kick it off than continuing our relentless efforts on Durham Watch Week. Jan and I even dropped it on the trial. Good evening, Jan. We're not in the same location. Do you want to tell everyone where you are? <laughs> well, I'm I'm kind of in an undisclosed location. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna actually say where I am, but apparently it's uh, there's some uh, little technical problems that have caused this to be a little late. So sorry about that, folks but we're gonna get right into this. And yes, indeed, Cash and I were able to actually visit the trial on Wednesday, Wednesday morning, and it happened to be kind of the perfect day to do it. Uh, yeah, it did not miss. Yama, it looks like you're playing the role of Sleuth's former intelligence officer, Cash Patel, and I'm playing the role of fantastic journalist, Jan McKellick tonight with your undisclosed location. I'm of course coming to you live from just next door to the uh, courthouse. But we were able to go over so many things in trial. We saw the government's case in chief come to arrest. We saw defense witnesses. We saw a summary of the presentations. It was pretty fantastic. And I think our audience is uh, in for quite the ride tonight. Yeah, where should we kick it off? Well, why, why don't we talk about our impressions? Because that, you know, being in the courtroom for me, it was, you know, a real kind of visceral experience. I mean, I, I, I've never, frankly, been in a federal courtroom before. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be honest. And and we were able to see, you know, some of the, I, I think, some really, really big moments. Well, as and notably, your actually your testimony being used. Your that what? Sorry, not your testimony. Your interrogation of Mr. Sussman uh, back when you were at Hipsy uh, under oath, being used to basically close the prosecution's uh, case, right? Yeah, so I interrogated, when I was a chief investigator at Russiagate on Capitol Hill, I interrogated 60-some witnesses, and all those transcripts were finally released during our tenure at DNI with Rick Brunel. And Michael Sussman was one of those individuals I interrogated in uh, December of 2017, I believe. And I asked him flat out, did you go there, there being the FBI, on behalf of a client? And he said yes, under oath. And that very statement and those pages were read into the record by the prosecutors uh, for the government and John Durham's special counsel team. And that's why I've said all along that this, this case is very hard to run away from the evidence because it's not a he said, she said. It's not a uh, just a witness, a testimonial case, as we call it. I, um, unlike you, have unfortunately spent too much time living in courtrooms as a former federal prosecutor and public defender. But um, the, the, when you combine credible witness testimony with the defendant's own statements under oath, it's very hard to run away from that and say you didn't say that because your option is I was lying to Congress or I was lying to the FBI. It can't both be you're making up true statements to both of those. And on top of that, you have the defendant's own statements, which were put into evidence. The, the text message from Michael Sussman himself to the FBI's head general counsel, James Baker, the night before the meeting in 2016 at FBI headquarters, Michael Sussman writes, and I'm paraphrasing, I am coming to you as a good Samaritan. I am not coming to you as a client on behalf of any client. Two statements that are completely an opposite of each other put in front of the jury to for the charge that Michael Sussman is indicted for, which is lying to the FBI about why he went there. And if that weren't enough, Jan, there's the thumb drives, and we can get into that now or in a little bit. Right. Well, and but there's also Baker's own testimony, right? And I mean, I, I, and I think like the combination of Baker's testimony uh, and you know your interrogation, the text of your interrogation, should kind of sum up the case. Well, shouldn't it? And well, 
you know, look, with jury trials, and I've tried 60 of them uh, to verdict um, before juries in state and federal courts. And let me tell you the one thing that, you know, and look, when I was a public defender, I represented some some individuals charged with some pretty heinous and awful crimes. And when I was a prosecutor, I was prosecuting terrorists and criminals charged with some pretty heinous crimes. So I have a rare perspective of being on both sides of the bar in the courtroom. And the one thing every single jury hated, without a doubt, it was... Uh, putting the charge aside itself was being lied to. Hmm. If they knew the defendant was lying through his lawyers, because the law, it's not the lawyer's fault. The lawyers have to use the evidence they have to make a case for their client defense and the prosecution. But if I was able to prove as a public defender that the cops were lying, then the jurors got turned off quickly on the state's case. Now, if you flip it and you're able to show that the, that the prosecution is lying and the government is going to be in very very deep trouble in this instance as you stated john it's pretty clear that the documents itself along with james baker's testimony unequivocally show that the only person lying was michael sussman and the second part of the charging document requires a conversation about materiality which we'll get into um but i just want to circle back on the thumb drive issue which is sort of the um I don't want to call it icing on the cake, but a nice touch by the prosecutors. So the thumb drives, little buttons that basically plug into your USB ports that Michael Sussman loaded all the Alpha Bank fantasy information onto that he received from the tech executive Rodney Jaffe. The, the government very cleverly showed where and when Michael Sussman purchased those thumb drives at a Staples in Washington, D.C., around the corner from his uh, law office, and they actually mapped it out on like uh, the interweb mapping system, where you can just see the dot, you know, the blue dots when you're trying to figure out where to go and what restaurant to go to. And it was a minutes away walk. If that wasn't enough, the government introduced a billing record for those thumb drives. Michael Sussman built the Alpha Bank thumb drives that he took to the FBI, handed to James Baker, to the Hillary Clinton campaign. Uh, it's some pretty damning evidence, both testimonial actual evidence in the terms of the thumb drives and then wit uh, witness statements and in this case particularly the defendant statements under oath and his own text messages so i think the first uh, four parts or elements as we call it of the charging document have been proven sufficiently where the defense was trying to hang their hats uh in their summations was the whether or not it was material well, it's kind of incredible. So I was looking through, uh, looking at John Hahi's uh, re final reporting as the uh, both the defense and the prosecution closed their case. I mean, the prosecution, of course, said, you know, there's some cases that are close. This is me paraphrasing, but this one's just not close. It's pretty clear cut, kind of like how you just described it. But on the other hand, you have the defense basically saying, well, this is like, uh, you know, people blowing snow all over the place and like pretending like it snowed last night and there's actually all misdirection. And I was kind of, you know, re reading this, I was like, it's, it's incredible that they, that, that they would say this, but this is perhaps, you know, to the uninitiated like myself. I mean, perhaps you've done the exact same thing as a defense attorney. Oh, I've done it a lot of times. I, I represent murderers, narco-traffickers as a public defender, those charged with sexual assault and uh, bank robberies and everything you can think of. And sometimes when you have such evidence, basically a videotape showing the jury your client robbing the bank, and in this case you have the defendant's own words showing him lying about his representations to the FBI, all you do, all you can do is throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and just say, hmm. Hopefully one juror catches a piece of that 
and maybe gets tossed off the scent of what the prosecution's putting forward because it is the government's burden at the end of the day to prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt. And sometimes, sometimes, rarely, um, that that strategy prevails. But if you if you're hanging your hat entirely on that strategy, it's not looking good for Michael Sussman. I think the facts and the law in this case support and warrant a conviction um, by this jury. But we're going to have to wait till next week to uh, to see what they come up with. Well. I, I do want to talk a little bit about the jury because there are, you know, some concerns about the jury. Before we go there, you know, there's this, when we were talking offline, I think we were talking about, you know, you said, you know, Joppy is kind of playing the steel role in this whole caper, so to speak. So why, 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 why don't you tell me how you see that? Yeah, so, we, you know, I dub Joffe as the Christopher Steele of the Alpha Bank caper. Uh, as we know, Christopher Steele, a paid informant through the Hillary Clinton campaign and Perkins Coie, the law firm Michael Sussman worked at, was paid by Fusion GPS as a cutout to dig up dirt. And we all know that that dirt was proven to be false by our investigation, things like the Nunes memo and the Hipsy report and so much other corroborated reporting we were able to put out there by the FBI's own documentation showing it to be a total fraud. Now, on a parallel track, while Michael Sussman was running this operation, line of effort one, the Steele dossier, for the Hillary Clinton campaign using tens of millions of dollars, they had a parallel operation line of effort two. Line of effort two was through tech executive Rodney Jaffe. What's he, who is he, what did he do? He was paid or charged or hired by this group of, the same group of characters, Perkins Coie, Fusion GPS, leaking to the media at the same time. Well, he went out and was charged with going to get the Russia Alpha Bank connection. What's that mean? They wanted to connect Donald Trump and, and servers in Russia through this Alpha Bank company to say, look, we got him. Donald Trump is a Russian asset. The problem, as the testimony came out during the Sussman prosecution from the FBI themselves, they said the day after Michael Sussman turned over those thumb drives paid for by the Clinton campaign with the Alpha Bank fantasy, the FBI determined in less than 24 hours that the information was bogus. Like Just like they knew the information the Steele dossier was bogus. But just like they did there, they buried that lead. The leadership at the FBI, James Comey, Andy McKay, Peter Strzok, Bill Priestat, Lisa Page, uh, all part of the corrupt cabal, drove forward on that investigation anyway and launched a counterintelligence investigation based on the fraudulent Alpha Bank testimony or information that Rodney Jaffe fabricated. And if that weren't enough... Rodney Joffe was a paid informant of the FBI at the time, just like Christopher Steele was. Both of these guys, paid informants, digging up false information, paid for by a political campaign, illegally using political campaign funds to fund opposition research that is false, then sharing it with the FBI and entering into what we call circular reporting. At the same time, they were directed by the Hillary Clinton campaign and Fusion GPS to go and leak this information to the media so media articles could be written and basically the FBI could be like, oh, look at that. We were told about the Alpha Bank server and this independent media organization who's pretending to be credible has found the same. So we're going to corroborate it with circular reporting. It was all quarterbacked by Hillary Clinton. And Robbie Mook's testimony, which we haven't talked about, was some of the most shocking testimony I found, especially since I'd never seen this uh, information before. Well, let's, okay, I want to get you to talk about Mook briefly, but but let's let's talk about this. So Scott Hellman's testimony about this one day and his you know comment that that that, that in a day he had figured out that this 
the information was false and that he thought that the person submitting the the information possibly had a mental deficiency. I forget I forget exactly how he put it. I I just found that unbelievably stunning given everything that precipitated, like you said. I I just I, I was kind of like, you know, jaw dropping. The other piece was when we were actually in court, there was this element of Joffe going to his friend Grasso as Grasso testified providing these IP addresses, one or two, I, I, I can't remember exactly, and basically saying, you know, don't, I, I might be at risk, don't disclose my name, and not going through his confidential, uh, his handler, right, which you, which I think you said is actually kind of against the rules, as I, as I noticed. So that, this is another piece that to me is just kind of jaw-dropping. Just like Christopher Steele, you're right. As a former federal prosecutor, we ran lots of assets and sources all over the world. And the one thing you do is your FBI agent handler handles the source period nobody else and then you take that information through the handler and bring it into court to prosecute your case but just like christopher Steele went out and leaked to the fbi and leaked to the media at the same time fraudulent information to create circular reporting and then was fired by the fbi for breaking the cardinal rule of going to the media joffe was running the same charade paid for by the Clinton campaign with the alphabet server information he didn't go he rodney joffe did not go to his handler he went to his friend in the FBI who he knew he could hide behind and said, here's some information. I'm ceding it to you. And I believe that Grasso also admitted he had no idea that Joffe was going to the media, courtesy of Fusion GPS and Perkins Coie. But for Joffe to fail as an FBI agent, a 17-year counterintelligence agent, for him to say, I'm not going to tell anyone at the FBI that someone else's source is coming to me is another disastrous violation of FBI policy. So Grasso and Joffe should have been fired. But eventually, Jaffe was terminated by the FBI, and we still don't have all the documentation saying why that was. What we do know is John Durham has said in pleadings in the Sussman prosecution that Rodney Jaffe maintains his status as a target of the special counsel's investigation. So if people are wondering why we did not hear from Rodney Jaffe in the Michael Sussman trial, it's likely because he told the government that he would plead the Fifth Amendment, the privilege against self-incrimination, so he didn't take the witness stand. And um, that's pretty telling in and of itself. And a jury, look, a jury can be instructed all at once, but at the end of the day, they're common sense folks from the neighborhood. And they're wondering why, they're probably wondering a couple of things. Why did Michael Sussman testify? We know he has a constitutional right not to. Where happened to Rodney Jaffe? And what about some of these other FBI agents? Oh, and by the way, the FBI agent Hyde, who came in and started the counterintelligence investigation based on the information Rodney Jaffe provided for line of effort to paid for by the Clinton campaign, this special agent admitted under oath in the Sussman case this week that he is under federal investigation for lying about the investigation and withholding evidence of innocence or what we call exculpatory information. And that the investigation was not even launched false on false premises, but that he may have provided this false information uh, to the court and withheld other information that a court and FBI agent should have seen because they were saying the seventh floor, that being Andy McCabe and James Comey and company, ordered this investigation to be open, which is another serious criminal conspiracy that I hope John Durham's looking at. Well, and since we're kind of doing a roundup here of sorts, tell me, okay, so what is it about Mook's testimony that you found so, you know, problematic? Yeah, so Robbie Mook, another guy that uh, we, we've talked about in the past. In 2016, Robbie Mook was the Clinton campaign manager. Basically, the guy running her effort to become president of the United States. He comes in and testifies, well, let me pause there. He testified under oath to me 
back just like Michael Sussman did when I was running the Hipsy investigation. And all those transcripts are available at DurhamWatch.com for free. Everybody can go read them themselves. And I urge our audience to go make up your own minds and read the material of these witnesses under oath. So Robbie Mook then, fast forward five years later, comes into uh, uh, the courthouse as a defense witness, not as a witness for the government. Michael Sussman calls him. And he actually gets the judge to agree to allow him to interject into the government's case because Robbie Mook has a vacation to go to, a siesta in Spain. John, in all my years of, of prosecuting and defending cases, I've never heard of a judge accommodating that. When a federal witness is under subpoena, you, you succumb to the trial schedule in order. We do not succumb to your vacation needs. But boy, did this backfire. Right in the middle of the government's case, Robbie Mook goes on the witness stand and not only admits basically that this whole thing was concocted by the Hillary Clinton campaign. He actually pointed the finger at Hillary. He said she knew about it. She agreed to it. And she sent Rodney Jaffe and company through Michael Sussman and Fusion GPS to plant the false story in the media. And then here's the kicker. What did she do with it? She and Jake Sullivan, who we can talk about in a second, her other campaign manager, the current national security advisor to the president of the United States, who I also interrogated under oath, they acted all surprised the day after the leak in the media and said, look, we have evidence of Trump-Russia collusion. But they were the ones that bought and paid for this phony garbage. And so their circular reporting continues in the media, and also the FBI tried to run with it. And so this just shows, finally, what we have been proving the entire time, that Hillary Clinton was in on it from the beginning. And now John Durham has put that in front stage uh, or on front stage for the world to see. Actually, I have to correct myself. The defense did. I, you would expect John Durham to try to elicit that testimony, but the defense star witness put it on there, her campaign manager. So maybe Robbie Mook's uh, siesta to Spain needs to be a little longer than originally planned. Um, I don't think he's too popular in Clinton world right now. It's a, it, it's an unbelievable, you know, series of events here. I mean, you know, to talk about Hillary Clinton, I mean, I was kind of shocked to see that William Barr went on Blaze TV and was kind of saying that this is almost, or I think he said it, right? This is seditious behavior in his opinion. That, 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 that I was not expecting. Well, William Barr was the attorney general. And if he thought it was seditious behavior, maybe he should have done more to organize prosecutorial efforts against these line of efforts that Devin and I and others at House Intel gave to him the entire investigation and the documentation. And then he, with federal subpoena power, could have obtained so many more documents so much faster if he had made it a priority, especially if he thought it was sedition. But instead, like so many others in Trump world, he and S were out there selling books and, and making money off their failures in government service. You know, you mentioned how you it really shocked you, and we actually talked about this in an episode, right? That that uh, the judge would actually allow this MOOC testimony, which turned out to be, you know, sort of, I guess, so supportive for the prosecution ultimately, right? Um, yeah. So there's this element. There's also this element. I'm just going to look in my notes. There were three, and this is I was I was prepping for this, looking at Truth Over Near our Truth Over News Channel with uh, Hans and Jeff. And they, they noted kind of three things. There was one witness who clearly donated to the Clinton campaign. Another one, you know, was working 12 years in cybersecurity, but didn't recognize some of these, you know, kind of big players that a lot of Americans recognize in cybersecurity, like Mr. Sussman. And of course, and finally, that one about, you know, the the, the Sussman's daughter being on the same rowing team as I, is it, is it the judge's daughter? Uh, I, I, I forget the, the, the relationship, but basically, I mean, DC, everybody knows everybody. I mean, how, how does this work exactly? 
Yeah, I, I think you mean jurors, not the witnesses, the, the, the jurors that were paneled on this case. So, yes, yes, sorry, uh, sorry. If, if I said witnesses, that absolutely, I'm talking about the jurors here. Thank you. Yeah, so look, yeah. it's Washington, D.C., and this is one of the reasons people dislike Washington so much, especially when we're trying to get those in our government who broke their oath of office to be held accountable in criminal court. But what you have happened here is, look, having picked 60-some-odd juries myself in criminal court, you're never going to get a jury that has 12 people that you want completely. If you're getting six, you're winning. And if you know you're going to get a couple of folks who are not going to be politically, in this case, politically aligned with you, and in D.C., many so. But what you have is a process in Wadir that the, the, the judge and the prosecutor and defense go through to say, you have to be able to put those efforts, those biases aside. And look, some jurors can and some jurors can't. But what you need in Washington, D.C., and what I think we have, John Durham has found is one juror to maintain his ground. To say the law and the facts in this case, with the politics aside, warrant and mandate a conviction because the, the government has proven their case beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, there's that whole thing about jury nullification, and we'll get to that. But I think we should probably talk about real quick about this whole piece of the charging document called materiality, which is necessary in order for um, Michael Sussman to be convicted. Well, okay, so so lay it out. Well, how to, well first of all, met materiality for those of us that don't haven't been initiated into the whole concept even, but I, I suspect most of the viewers at this point have, but but what? how does that work? So so when you're charged with a crime, there are these things called elements. You know, think of it as baking a cake, you need ingredients. Well, in a crime, you need elements. And in, in proving a, that an individual who's charged with lying to the FBI lied, you have to prove he intentionally and knowingly lied to the FBI, which is a part of the executive branch. And the back end of that is you have to prove the lie was material. What does that mean? It means that the FBI relied on it or the executive branch where the FBI sits, the Department of Justice, the CIA, the NSA and the White House all relied on that information somehow. Now, the defense in closing arguments just just this morning or, or earlier this afternoon heavily had to focus on the materiality position because they couldn't overcome the evidence that we talked about showing Michael Sussman actually lied with intent and knowingly doing so based on his testimony to Hipsy and me and his text messages, the thumb drives and the, the testimony of James Baker and others. Now, the materiality argument is sort of the this, this part of the defense where they're like, let's throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and maybe something will stick. What they said was, and I'm summarizing, they, the defense attorneys were, well, even if my client, Michael Sussman, did lie, it's not a big deal. It's not like anyone at the FBI really changed course based on that information, which is a tough sell in this case. You had the FBI launch a counterintelligence investigation into a candidate for the presidency of the United States of one of the major parties in America and continue that investigation into him when he was sitting as president based on the bogus information that Michael Sussman gave to the FBI general counsel and lied about. I would say that is somewhat pretty material. You don't have to be a lawyer to figure that out. And that's why we have jurors in common sense backgrounds from everyday parts of our, our lives who are put on these panels to review these cases, because that's what the government was arguing against. They were saying, how could this not be material? Look at the millions of dollars that was spent in investigating it. Look at the people who lied about it in the FBI that are under investigation for lying. Look at the FISA warrants that were launched based on this. Look at a president and his campaign that were attacked by their political opponent with campaign dollars being used to hire people for opposition research purposes. So the only thing left for the defense in this case, uh, which is why I believe the facts 
and the law warrants a conviction for Michael Sussman is what we call jury nullification. And basically that is, and you can, you know, that's why people are so scared about DC. But I think what the facts is we have outlined the witness testimony, the paper testimony and the documentary testimony, it's going to be tough. But the defense is basically saying they're not allowed to straight out argue it because it's illegal. So you have to get creative and say, my client, Michael Sussman, was doing this amazing work for Hillary Clinton. We know everybody hated Donald Trump. So just to quit him anyway, because he was, you know, there to um, he, Michael Sussman, was there to save the world against the evil Donald Trump. It's a very tough sell, um, especially when the evidence is so, so damning in this case as it is. And the prosecution can. And, and also the other thing I should say before moving to prosecution is, you know, the defense was arguing the burden of proof. Uh, look, as a public defender, you always remind the jury what the burden of proof is. But if you have to rest on it and make it a big part of your case, uh, you're asking everyday human beings to set aside the government's evidence and to look at some other paint dot on the wall. And hopefully they'll be mesmerized by it enough to return an acquittal. So it's going to be a tough sell. Um, I've looked at all the media coverage about it today. Half the world is saying he's getting convicted. The other half is saying he's not. And that's what makes these cases so tough. But I think the information that was uh, revealed by John Durham's team in the case against Michael Sussman has been so revealing for all the reasons we talked about and um, should be the basis for so many more investigations and prosecutions and congressional oversight because, you know, as a side note, Devin Nunes and I subpoenaed 17 times over this information from the Department of Justice and the FBI, and it was never turned over to us. And that just shows you how bad some of the corrupt cops at the FBI and DOJ were. And we heard from some of the defense witnesses who I think were in on it, former people I used to work at at DOJ. Well, okay, let's talk about the defense witnesses. Before we go there, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it it strikes me, and this is, you know, something that comes out in these recent uh, Truth Over News hits as well, is that it's just like, you know, it's almost like the Sussman defense's case was to kind of sh show the FBI in, in a not too positive light. And I mean, none of this trial, you know, whether it's the prosecution or the defense, they're, they're not showing the FBI to be in a very positive light here at all. Well, that's the, that's the irony of ironies, John. I think the whole thing, and you and I saw this when we were in court watching the trial this week, we've proven, we, you, me, incredible journalist, Devin Nunes, Ipsy Investigation, the Nunes Memo, everything we have on DurhamWatch.com has proven that the FBI lied by utilizing the FBI's own documentation, their own corrupt files, their own testimony when they went to get the FISA warrants, when they launched a Christopher Steele investigation or information investigation based on Christopher Steele and now the Alpha Bank server stuff. We've shown why so many people don't trust FBI leadership anymore because they politicized the, num the nation's number one law enforcement agency. Um, but what happened in this case is an extension of that. And I don't think uh, the American public is too thrilled. And that's why when you hear from defense witnesses uh, who are trying to prop up this very bureau that lied to them, it's just a tough sell. And I didn't buy it. And I knew them. I used to work for them the defense witnesses that uh, Michael Sussman called uh, in this case. And where was their career reliability, their career integrity, their career prosecutorial skills to cut through the Clinton campaign lies on the Steele dossier and Alpha Bank narrative? Where was their career efforts to comply with congressional subpoenas to produce documentation that was mandated under law? Why did they hide all of that information? And they being the defense witnesses to Sheena Gahar and Mary McCord, everybody should read their testimony. Not they did. They didn't provide the whole truth. I believe they were duped at the very worst. But I think at the very best, 
Um, they were uh, in on it for political affiliate reasons, just like the FBI leadership was. And um, now we have zero faith in the leadership at the Department of Justice, and it's going to be tough to restore. Well, and what was the purpose of having these defense witnesses? I, that's the part, the, 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 the two that we saw. Uh, I, I, I didn't, frankly, fully really understand what the benefit to the defense was of having these witnesses. You know, John, I'm, I'm really not sure because the defense witnesses both came in and submitted notes to the jury that said Michael Sussman went to the FBI on behalf of a client. And I don't even believe they per one of them personally knew Sussman. The other one personally had never met him. So I'm not sure what it was other than to muddy the waters to say we've got former high ranking DOJ officials testing on behalf of Michael Sussman. You, the jury, should count that almost as a character witness style. Uh, evidentiary presentation uh, because this is who Michael Sussman hangs out with. And if I were the jury, I'd be like, well, if these 15, 20 year prosecutors were in the senior most positions of the DOJ, who had the FBI working for them, who had Andy McCabe and Peter Strzok and Lisa Page and Bill Priestap and James Comey working for them. And we've now know this entire thing was a fraud and a charade and an unlawful conspiracy. Why didn't you suss it out? That's your job. But they didn't like Donald Trump. I know that for a fact. They don't like that man. And they let that, their emotions get in the way. And I hope this jury shows the world uh, what, it's cap what our judicial system is capable of. We can correct our career civil servants like the Tashina Gars and the Mary McCords. We can correct the criminal culprits like the James Comey's, Andy McCabe, Peter Strzok, uh, Bill Priestap, Lisa Page, Fusion GPS, even the uh, Glenn Simpsons and the Robbie Mooks and even maybe the Jake Sullivan's juries have the power, the only power to deliver that accountability. And that's why I think so much is hanging on this case. And I really hope they get it right. Jan. I really hope, you know, from my perspective, it's not even hope. A conviction is the only thing that the law and the facts uh, warrant in this case. And there would be a gross miscarriage of justice to do anything otherwise. Well, so the jury's deliberating now. Right. And I guess on Tuesday, I guess that, that that's when it's, uh, you know, if, if the official deliberations will will be happening. Um, you're saying this is the only way. But, you know, why why does everything, as you described it, hang on a conviction here? What does that mean exactly? Well, it's the second case that John Durham has brought. The reminder in our audience, the first case against Kevin Kleinsmith resulted in a conviction of the FBI lying to the FISA court, which is a pretty substantial marking but of course the mainstream media refused to cover it now you have the clinton campaign essentially on trial for running and quarterbacking this entire thing through michael sussman so accountability you know even though we were able to get 17 individuals fired from doj and fbi for their fraudulent unlawful conduct during the russiagate investigation um that's not what americans want they want accountability for government officials who are in on the charade and it's more than a charade, it's a criminal conspiracy. And that's why Michael Sussman's the first large player to go to trial um, on these matters. And there's more indictments coming. There's Danchenko in the fall, and I believe John Durham's gonna return two to four more indictments this summer on the overarching conspiracy. And as we said, tech executive Joffe and all these other individuals in the joint venture conspiracy, as John Durham has outlined it, are in his crosshairs. So it will it will it will enable American public to get educated on this because the mainstream media won't cover it, but we will. And it will also allow uh, John Durham in the public opinion, the media opinion to be validated. I think he's already been validated with the amazing work he's done and his team has done by putting all this information into the public forever. 
it's there. It can't be deleted. So a conviction would um, help in terms of, you know, you hate to take talk about it from a communications or media perspective, but you have to because that's how the American people is going to digest uh, this information ultimately. And so many want accountability within government, especially from those who are supposed to issue and execute accountability without government or outside of government for having violated their oaths of office. Well, Cash, you know, as we kind of finish up the episode, there are a number of uh, users that actually have questions for us from the the chat. So I'm going to hit you up with some of these. And so one of them is just a direct follow up to what we just talked about from Lisa Talon. Uh, She asks, you know, what it would it mean to Durham's future indictments if this current case failed to get a conviction? Legally, it doesn't affect the uh, future indictments as much as people might think. I think from a media perspective, it's a bigger uh, negative. It's a bigger blemish because they'll say, oh, John Durham's you know, special counsel status is tainted or he failed in his efforts. So I think you have to rely on folks educating themselves with the information that we've been going over and all the other information we've put out. Uh, but he's got a couple. He's got the Denchenko case, and uh, it's a strong case, I believe, as well. And so I don't think legally it impact, but it it could help it a lot. A conviction would help because other people would see who are in John Durham's possible future investigations that he was able to retain two convictions now, one in trial. And uh, that always inures to the benefit of the government in terms of proving the larger conspiracy. All right, let's go to this one. Michael Corey, um, question. Cash, have you looked specifically into Rodney Joppe's IP patents, specifically domain name system and methods of operating using restricted channels? Seems to be a smoking gun because after the 2016 election, the filing attorney changes to Perkins Cooey. Now, that's interesting. I didn't know about that. Well, that's interesting. And what was also came out during the uh, uh, testimony that Jan and I witnessed about Rodney Jaffe was in 2016 and 2017, he billed Perkins Cooey three plus million dollars. He and his firm, uh, New Star Technologies or whatever it was, for work. Um, so it'd be pretty revealing to see what the nature of that work was and what that money was actually spent on and also why he was terminated from the FBI. But the underlying technical information I can't I can't really speak to. Um. Elko, Mike, uh, Jan and Cash, why doesn't Sullivan's wife rec- recuse from oversight of Durham? Yeah, that's an interesting Well, I think what question. he's retur- referring to is Jake Sullivan, the current National Security yeah. Advisor, works in the office of uh, Sullivan's wife, the current National Security Advisor. His wife works in the office of the Attorney General advising Merrick Garland. And, uh, you know, she, she could recuse herself if she was immediately involved in the investigation. You know, the department has stated she is not. And John Durham, um, He's a seasoned prosecutor. Uh, he doesn't need, he doesn't report to her. He reports directly to the attorney general, if anyone, um, on these matters. And so I think she just doesn't have a role in it. But for appearances, I agree with our viewer. She probably should have recused entirely. And a final question here, Eric Harker. The whole enchilada aside, will any of this move the needle? Will this result in any fundamental lasting changes? Will something like this just happen again? Or has this actually made a difference? Well, I think it's it's to be determined. We've started the process. We started with our HIPSI investigation. We started with the Nunes memo and the HIPSI report. We got to the inspector general's report um, over time, which validated our entire investigation that the Steele dossier was fraudulently obtained, fraudulently used by the FBI, and they lied. The FBI lied to a federal court through the Department of Justice to unlawfully surveil a presidential candidate. And we've proven all that. And that's a multi-year effort. Now what you have is John Durham picking up this investigation from a prosecutorial perspective 
and doing the ultimate test for accountability. So as I said, this this uh, trial of Michael Sussman, the second, uh, hopefully second conviction to be had after the conviction of the FBI um, in the Russiagate scandal would go a long way to restoring the public's faith that our government officials and political uh, campaigns cannot corrupt an election system and cannot um, take away the public's faith in our law enforcement agencies. But a lot more work has to be done, I agree. Uh, but this would be a great start, which is why I think a conviction um, not only is warranted, but would, would go a long way to, to doing so. But there's a lot of work left after that. All right, Cashwell, I think it's time for our shout out. So I think our shout out has to go for our first live stream viewing ever of Cash's Corner to everybody on live chat. I don't know if people knew this, but we do a live chat every week where Jan or I, or sometimes both are on. And thanks to our, our tremendous viewers on live chat who ask such entertaining and serious questions that I think help educate uh, our audience writ large. And this is why we do the show, Jan. So this week's shout out goes to our live chat. And I just want to say personally, you know, thanks everybody for tuning in. Sorry about the initial hiccup. We'll try to get that right next time. And um, I appreciate all the comments that I'm getting on Truth Social, both for my latest children's book, The Plot Against the King, which I wrote for Russia, uh, the Russia Gate for Children. And I also appreciate all the feedback from Cash's Corner and the tremendous efforts that Epoch TV is doing to continue to host this show. So we will see all of you next week uh, with a verdict in the Sussman case.